0: so to refresh your memory we are currently talking about back to the basics a sermon series in which we're taking up uh, revisiting those big subjects uh, we maybe haven't thought about for a while head-on and trying to stir the pot a little bit to get us thinking and processing why do I believe this why is this so important for me and today as you heard during children's time, we are taking up the topic of God. If I'm honest with you, I have voluntarily chosen to start this sermon with negative points from you guys, uh, because as you will notice in your bulletin, I've chosen to entitle this sermon, F Plato, or the Existential Cry of Despair. Uh, So I'm already at a disadvantage because I must start by apologizing for my salty language. But try as I may, I've been gravitating back and back to this cry of F-Plato and think that it is truly the only way to express the profoundness of grief spawning from our existential situation. So let me pay my penance by trying to take you into the depths of this cry to haltingly try to show you how this cry bears the depths of the human soul. And so, of course, there is no better way to talk about this than through a story within a story within another story. And as with every good story within a story within a story, this story stars Greek philosophy. But I'm getting ahead of myself. First, let me start with the story. Last year... I had some pretty serious mental health issues. And I sure had a rotten time. And all of this, all of this experience, stirred up questions in me. It stirred up these classic questions like, having to do with pain in the world, like, where is God in the midst of this? For me, it wasn't so much a question of why God would allow this to happen. That wasn't my question. Mine was... When this crummy stuff is going on, how does God fit into the picture? And that question leads us to the story within the story. Once upon a time, the Christian movement was young. Like all youngsters, it was trying to define itself, to figure out who it was. It already had a lot of Jewish aspects to it, and it liked the way it was. But then, a couple of generations in, as youngsters are wont to do, it started doubting itself. See, it lived in the Roman world, and the Romans loved everything Greek. So the Christians started saying, hey, people aren't really liking us. They think we're ridiculous, just like we're this just Jewish group over there. They never take us seriously seriously. They think we're stupid. Well, I'm not stupid. I can do Greek philosophy too. Which brings us to our story within a story within a story. Once upon a time, there was a dude named Plato. Uh, Most of you have probably heard of him. You probably read his book, The Republic, in English class at some point. Now, Plato was a philosopher, and he liked these mind puzzles, trying to wrestle with deep questions. So here's what he said one day. You know, God is perfect, yes? Yes, by definition, God is perfect. Now, if something changes, it must be getting either better or worse, right? So if God is perfect, then he can't get better, or else God wasn't perfect in the first place. And he can't get worse, because then he wouldn't be perfect anymore. So, therefore, God cannot change. So Plato taught this people this mental concept, since God is perfect, and since God can't change without being perfect, therefore, God cannot change. But then he kept going. Because you know, something that changes a lot, people's emotions. When your emotion changes, then in some way you're changing. So Plato said, therefore, God can't have emotions because that would be changing. Rather, God must be stoic and unfeeling so that he can actually remain God. You tracking more or less? So let's zoom back out to our story within a story. Our our buddies, the Christians, they're saying those meany Roman jerks, They just think they're better than us. Well, we'll show them. We know how to think like Plato too. And so the Christians said that God cannot change and that God cannot feel. And thus the Christians adopted this Greek idea about God and applied it to their own God. And thus it was decreed that God could never change. And this isn't some obscure, random philosophical thing. Uh, The majority of the great Christian thinkers throughout the ages have taken up this question. Uh, You hear, for example, modern uh, evangelicals in one praise song singing, yesterday, today, and forever. You stay the same, you never change. This all points back to this guy named Plato and these early Christians deciding, we can do this Greek, the- this Greek philosophy too. And all this brings me back to level one, the story. Myself having a crummy time in the throes of existential anguish languishing away. With this question, where is God in the midst of all this? Are you seeing what I was seeing at the time? That other view, Plato's God, is bankrupt. It doesn't hold up when the rubber hits the road, when the ish gets real. It has nothing to say to those who are suffering. You know, Jewish theology was never the same after the Holocaust. Beforehand, it was largely in line uh, with one of the major thoughts lines of thought in the Bible. Uh, If you do good, good things will happen to you and vice versa. So therefore, if you do bad, you must be getting punished. And then the Holocaust happened and Jewish theology ruptured. That perspective could not hold up in the face of that much undeserved suffering The same way our pretty little ideas from Greek philosophy that work so nicely and logically, that God is perfect and therefore God can't change and therefore God can't feel, those are worthless. They don't stand up to the refining fire of the pain and suffering of the world. You know one of the implications of this, right? If you love somebody, you are becoming vulnerable. You open yourself up to risk. You can potentially suffer depending on that person's reaction. There is no such thing as love without the potential for suffering. Uh, One theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, puts it this way, a God who cannot suffer is poorer than any man. For a God who is incapable of suffering is a being who cannot be involved. Suffering and injustice do not affect him. Plato's God cannot love. He can only be loved. And not to mention that the whole idea of Plato's God is thoroughly unbiblical, what do we see in the Bible? God is getting mad. God has a broken heart. God is weeping. God is down in the middle of history feeling. So, do you see how, in the midst of suffering, the thing that best expressed, the only thing that got to the depth of what I was feeling, was F. Plato? Because Plato's God is bankrupt. Plato's God doesn't have anything to say to those who are suffering. This view of God that just sits somewhere up there, being all perfect, not getting his hands dirty, not caring about the pleas of the hurting, to do anything about it, this God had nothing to offer me. The thing that did resonate with me, it didn't soothe me and take away the pain, but it encouraged me in the midst of pain that phrase that resonated with me comes from that theologian, Jürgen Moltmann, that I talked about earlier. He has a famous book called The Crucified God. And that phrase, The Crucified God, stuck with me. And without removing my pain, gave me fortitude in the midst of it. Too often, the dominant views of Christianity talk about Christ's death on the cross. We, we heard this plaintive cry, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me this morning? It's one of the richest passages in scripture. Too often Christians talk about Jesus being abandoned by God as if Jesus, who's fully God and fully human, just whoop, and then God left. And then Jesus, the person, was, the per- was who was dying on the cross. That is a heresy, by the way. It was rejected thoroughly by the early church. Or God, this big concept God as a whole, abandoned Jesus. As if one party abandoned a different party. But that doesn't really hold up. That doesn't hold up to our theology of the Trinity. Jesus is God, just like the Father is God. So when the Father forsakes the Son on the cross, we see God abandoning God. We see that God, God's self, died on the cross. God faced the worst of what it means to be human. Oppression, suffering, alienation, and death. And this God, the crucified God, has something to speak to us. To speak to our suffering. Unlike the God of Plato, our God, the crucified God, can feel the pain of the worst parts of our life. Because our God, the crucified God, has experienced it in God's own self. This is not an unfeeling, unchangeable, unmoving God who can't really love us. Ours is, as Martin Luther King puts it, a God who is the first to cry. It is a God who is not unaffected by pains inflicted on individuals and groups, but comes alongside with the broken heart to suffer along with them when we feel a grief too deep for words, grief that we can't articulate but just comes out in groans, that we can't even figure out how to begin to try and describe. God is the one who can understand, who can come alongside and take our hand and really know, even though we can't figure out how to put it into words that is what spoke to me during this situation that is what god i believed in in the midst of suffering that's the god who has something to say to our lives may god open your eyes to the suffering in the world be it in others or in yourself May you be blessed with the vision to see the crucified God coming alongside to support us. May it be so.